I have a false belief that I need to be as good at my job as whoever I work with. I did everything wrong, basically. So I don't think imposter syndrome results in failures. Everyone is an incomplete puzzle. Literally scamming people. No prior experience. No nothing. Living off lies and vibes, often for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Adulting can be hard, even scary. Adulting Horror Stories shares intimate tales of adulting fails and insights into how to avoid them. Hello, and welcome to Adulting Horror Stories. I'm your host, Dion, and today I'm here with Miles. How are you, Miles? Doing pretty good. Glad to hear it. Would you like to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I'm Miles. I'm currently 22 years old. Um, My background, I work in IT, specifically in cybersecurity. So far, I'm only about in my second year working in a cybersecurity environment, and I've only finished a two-year degree and I'm working on my bachelor's. I didn't know that. I thought you were like all the way... Free of the shackles of our education system. Oh, no. We got a little way to go. <laughs> soon, soon. Today's episode will be about imposter syndrome. According to Merriam Webster's dictionary, imposter syndrome can be defined as a psychological condition that is characterized by persistent doubt concerning one's abilities or accomplishments, accompanied by fear of being exposed as a fraud, despite evidence of one's ongoing success. And it's a feeling that a lot of professionals go through. I even remember my first supervisor telling me about how he discussed his experience of imposter syndrome with his therapist, and she told him that it's funny how so many of her most successful clients, him included, are the ones who experience imposter syndrome. So I'm joined by Miles today to discuss our experiences with imposter syndrome and what we've done to overcome them. So as usual, I will start. And I I actually want to start with a thought that I had the other day, which is I want the confidence of the women who keep applying to be sign language interpreters, knowing damn well they don't know sign language. (laughs) I remember one from like a few years ago when I saw like a news report about another one recently. And I'm like, they don't feel an ounce of shame doing the electric slide on public television while deaf people are trying to understand a major announcement. So why should I feel ashamed of my ability to do my job that I actually studied and trained for? (laughs) Scammers. Scammers should teach classes on (laughs) not having imposter syndrome. But talking horror stories, it was hard for me to come up with any because I don't think imposter syndrome results in failures or negative experiences. Instead, I think it results in missed opportunities. So, for example, when I was in middle school, I decided not to take the specialized high school exam because I thought I wouldn't pass. And then a bunch of people with worse grades than me 
took it and passed and got into fancier high schools that would give them better opportunities. Did I bleed? Am I living on the streets? No. But I'm certain I missed out on some great learning opportunities. Now, honestly, after that, I told myself I wouldn't let it happen again. So I want to make it clear, imposter syndrome for me is a feeling, not a behavior. It is very rare for me that I will not even apply for something because I don't think I'm worthy. I've learned that I shouldn't tell myself no and to let whoever's in charge of hiring or admissions or whatever it may be, be the ones to tell me no. So the horror stories I want to share with you are opportunities that I could have missed out on if I let imposter syndrome get the best of me. And the best way I found to share that was with job descriptions. I have several friends, three I can think of immediately, who are job hunting. And they'll tell me that they're not applying for positions they like because, per the description, the job wants so many years of experience, or for them to have a skill they currently don't have, and so on. These are the stories that I tell them. So first off, I got my first engineering job straight out of college by networking at a conference. It was an entry-level position, but per the job description, it wanted one to three years of work experience in a related field. I had none. The jobs I'd held prior weren't engineering jobs. My internships were research internships, not even like corporate internships. My second job, its description required five years of work experience. I applied for it and was accepted when I had three years of experience, in part because over the last year, I had become an expert on equipment that they had recently installed there. So that's story two. Story three, a recruiter once reached out to me asking if I was interested in an open position that she had, and she sent the job description over. I looked it over and noticed it said that AutoCAD was mandatory. For those of you that don't know, the CAD in AutoCAD stands for Computer-Aided Design. It's software that helps you make drawings for things like equipment parts or manufacturing floor layouts. I didn't have AutoCAD experience, so I replied and said that the job description seems interesting, but I've never used AutoCAD before. She came back and said, oh, that's our bad. It's actually optional. Let us correct the job description and send you a new one. My last story, I applied to another job and it listed proficiency in an engineering skill that I hadn't seen before as a requirement. I still applied, and during the interview, I asked the hiring manager, can you tell me, like, what this term is? I haven't ever seen it before. And he explained that it's the company's internal name for a common engineering practice that already has a common name. And so this company put a requirement on a public job description for a skill that you would only recognize if you already worked there. I could go on, but I think that's enough. 
And I will say, these are really horror stories about facetious or poorly written job descriptions. But I think it's also about imposter syndrome because I know intelligent, capable people who would look at these job descriptions, see that they have everything else that's being asked for, and still pass over these jobs because of one missing skill or a year or two less of experience, rather than saying, I'm smart, I can learn whatever it is they need of me. Let's see if they're willing to teach me that skill on the job. Let's see if I can quickly learn some of the essentials that those additional two years would have given me and still be able to add value to the company. Don't let imposter syndrome tell you you are not worthy. If anything, let it help inform you of what you want to learn next. So that's those are my stories. That's dope. Hell yeah. I try. <laughs> this is my is this my cue? Do I jump in? This is your cue. You have to now have a better, scarier, more dramatic horror story oh God. with um with a diorama, a diorama like elementary school. No pressure. Oh shit. Okay. Alright. So um for me, definitely when it comes to imposter syndrome, um, I'll try to single out some noteworthy examples of like events that i can explain how it's affected me but to give like a a general explanation of my specific relationship with imposter syndrome it's heavily uh, affected by my age Mm. because you know i'm only 22 so most of my friends by choice of course are older than me and i work in an environment it where you know you don't know really what you're going to get or who's going to be on your team but in my specific team I am the youngest by far. In fact, uh, many of my direct associates are probably old enough to be my parents, and I've said as much in passing. <laughs> and I don't take offense to it. And like you know, I'm young, so I, I know youth is something to enjoy. And I don't, I try not to let it get in my own way, or try to let it cloud my perspective or even opinion of things or things that I do. But imposter syndrome definitely works its way into my own assessment of my own competence. One of the things I really had to get over was thinking that I had not worked enough to deserve something. Hmm. Um, so case in point, and actually this is a this is a good example. It's a mini little mini horror story. About two or three weeks ago, I got certified uh, in networking by CompTIA. Um, it's a industry standard for my industry. And the night before that, I went to take the certification. I completely just like i did not do any of my due diligence i was out i hung out it was on a wednesday no less i took the day (laughs) off to go take the test (laughs) i did everything wrong basically so on tuesday night i went out i took wednesday off the whole day to take this single like hour test and i didn't need to do that either because i live across the street from the testing center but i was like i don't want to go take this test and come back to work because i honestly i thought it was going to fail but um yeah so i was out all night Tuesday night, I wake up, I drove an hour. I was actually an hour away from my home and from the testing center, which is right next to my house, my apartment. Hmm. And so I drove an hour, got here, uh, walked across the street to take the test, did not study the night before, hadn't done any prior studying up until that week. So since Sunday, I haven't done any studying, any preparation, nothing whatsoever, was out hanging out, 
just you know shooting the shit fully was like i deserve to fail this this quiz now i do have experience in networking i do have a general basic understanding of the concepts of networking um i went over it in classes before i've taken about three or four classes now but i definitely 100 felt like a you know i deserve to sit down and bomb this test i sat down and that didn't happen and from there i've kind of tried to condition myself like obviously yes you should to have due diligence, you should do the best, the things that you can in order to make the outcome you want to come out. But sometimes it's not about what you deserve. It's about how things go and it's about what you've done. Um, so getting out of that like deserve mindset and removing that from the mechanics of imposter syndrome is definitely something that I'm working on now. But definitely in, in the big, in the larger scheme of things for my main horror story, um, it's also uh, work related because I think imposter syndrome is easily present to detect when you're dealing with competency or something where you're thinking about your own competence. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're not dealing with something where there's competence related, then it's definitely, I think, harder to suffer from imposter syndrome, at least for me. I get that. Before we move forward, though, can you explain to the audience, like layman's description, what networking is? Because I assume you don't mean like telling bad jokes at a cocktail party oh no 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 i'm sorry yeah so networking is um essentially it's how your everything all of your devices connect to each other so your phone your laptop the wi-fi all that stuff sometimes it's physical with wires and different devices that that handle how data moves from one computer to another on a corporate network or on a home network all that stuff it's different different applications for different tools um that was what the uh the networking i was working on was okay makes sense it's a it's not a really like deep concept like it doesn't it doesn't go very deep as in like how complex it gets it's actually really mm-hmm. really simple um but it's very broad in my opinion because there's so much stuff like at this point your microwave is getting an ip address why <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so it's like you got to understand all these different parts and pieces of it and so when i went to take the test i was like yeah i haven't I haven't cast wide enough net to be prepared for the types of questions that are probably going to be on this test. And you know what? Even in you saying that, like, it's not that complicated, I feel like I hear the imposter syndrome because <laughs> I bet you if you gave a like a non-layman's description of what on earth networking is, I would be confused. Half my audience would be confused. The little old lady crossing the street outside my window would be extra confused. I bet you it's, it's still fairly complex. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You're 100% right. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, side sidebar. So, fun fact, a little bit of a background about me. Um, I was homeschooled for mostly of almost my entire life my entire young adult life until i went to college my first year in college i i started at 16 and i had no idea what i wanted to do up until then all of it was homeschool i got my ged and then just was like let's figure out how we're going to support ourselves may i ask before we keep going go for it what motivated your children to homeschool you um no, so pause because i definitely said that wrong <laughs> what motivated your parents to homeschool you so a combination of things um there's what i was told and then there's what i figured out okay so yeah so or what i heard from other people so my parents number one my parents just wanted they didn't want my spirit to get crushed first and foremost a lot of i think our modern social education system is very it's centered around conformity 
um, being similar, getting used to conditionings about things being the same or getting used to routines. And one of the nicer things about my homeschool regimen was that they're basically, and you can say, you can argue whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, but there basically was no curriculum. It was, hey, this is something, let's learn about this something. My dad taught me fractions by buying frozen pizzas for lunch he would make them and he would take out a knife and he would explain to me how the pizza was still one pizza but it was now being broken into pieces shit like that i think that's fantastic actually especially because listen aside from your odds of getting shot there's definitely (laughs) some um not so great i'm gonna say practices that are built into schooling that yeah, it it can kill your creativity. It can get you way too obsessed with grades, which really do not matter much after you get maybe your first job. Depending on depending on the industry, not even for your first job. So I think that's awesome. However, I am thinking by the fact that your dad was able to buy these pizzas, bake them, cut them up, and then teach a lesson on fractions. Your parents have more time on their hands than the average parent. Yes. So the deal was my parents, my mom was the one who was the financial provider. My dad was a stay-at-home dad. Hmm. And his entire job was just to teach me. He taught me to read. He taught me math. He taught me to write. I was seven years old and he would have me go out to the uh, our driveway, get the newspaper. I'd have to read the newspaper, find an article, read it, uh, then write him a book report on it. My shitty little seven-year-old scribbly handwriting trying to write about shit I didn't understand. I remember writing about increased crime rates in uh, the southeast part of Raleigh. Okay. And I didn't fucking know where that was. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't put two and two together until I found myself six or seven years later playing tennis in southeast Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And then thinking to myself, hey, yo, that book report I wrote six years ago, this is where I was writing about. Like at seven years, I, seven years old, I had no idea what I was doing, but I was trying. And I think also to connect this back to imposter syndrome, that's one cool thing that my upbringing being homeschooled never that it helped me secure was I was not afraid to try to punch outside my weight class. Like, yeah, maybe I don't necessarily know how to do this thing, but you know, if I try at it, I fail at it, but I continuously keep trying at it. I keep learning at it. You know, the scientific method of, you know, fucking around and finding out. So long (laughs) as you don't find out anything catastrophic, you know, you're going to be better for it in the long run. But like you were saying, with the obsession with grades and, and competency, trying to be able to, to mark or quantify progression, which is objective, it's it's so like it defeats it ends up defeating the purpose which is just improving and growing and learning you know and that's so you can't you can't quantify it sometimes yeah absolutely i remember another thing about my mindset was i grew up thinking that there was nothing i couldn't necessarily do Mm -hmm. not that i could be good at anything because i was that's also so the biggest the biggest downside to being homeschooled was a lack of a social outlet so my parents tried to compensate that by putting me in literally everything under the sun i'm talking tennis lessons piano lessons martial arts uh basketball swimming golf archery 
I tried basically everything drums, violin. There's so much shit, shit that was like, I, you know, it, it wasn't really about whether or not I liked it or not. It was just like, hey, you want to try this? And I was like, all right. And they found an affordable way to get me into it without, you know, obviously, like, it's not like they expected me to go be like the next Tiger Woods or some shit, but it's just, hey, like, you're trying this thing, you're enjoying it, you're getting to interact with people, you're getting to learn about whether you like it or not. And that kind that was basically the core of what my childhood was built around. That's awesome. Um, I know earlier I alluded to like what I was told versus what I learned. The other half of what inspired my parents to do the homeschooling was my father was around um, for the desegregation of schools, and he was labeled uh, mentally deficient at a really, really early age. And that 100% affected his self-esteem. So he did not want anybody fucking with his son. May I ask? How old your father is? I feel like the desegregation of schools is like grandfather age. He's he's up there. He's got to be in his. Uh, I don't I don't have the best relationship with him now, <laughs> so it sucks. I don't know my dad's exact age, but he's on the other side of sixty, close to seventy. Yeah. Also, my dad was from a really not super progressive. He's from like a small little hick town that's not progressive at all. So you know how things come in waves. Even if it had started to become more popular, by the time it would have hit him, it could have been a year, maybe more, before it was like really a full blown thing. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's a whole other thing. I'm because I'm thinking about, I guess, the challenges of going to school in New York. But I'm assuming your father went through the challenges of going to school as a black man in North Carolina. Yeah. Joy. From a small little hick town that as of 2010 only had one supermarket. Is it a Walmart? No. (laughs) It's a little mom pop. Uh, It might be a Piggly Wiggly. It might not even be a Piggly Wiggly. Okay. No, it was was not, bro. It was, it was, they were struggling. (laughs) Nah, my family, uh, my dad's side of the family was they were they were country. They were from the country. Yeah, I I mean, it, it sounds like it worked out to me. Hey, you know, it's what you it's what you do with what you have. You gotta make things work. I do remember my dad's birth year just came to me. So and I looked up. So, uh, Brown v. Board of Education was in 1954. My dad was born in 1963, I believe. Holy shit! Actually, shit. I'm a, you said 1963. I believe. My mother was born in 1962. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so I'm over here assuming that your dad's, like, your dad's up there in age <laughs> for, for um, having seen the desegregation of schools. But the only difference is my mom was born in Jamaica, so that wasn't a, like, um, they were a little past the desegregation. <laughs> So it wasn't as big of a milestone for her. She was born, though, I think she was born the same year that um, Jamaica became independent from England. Uh, that is correct. August 6, 1962. Yeah. Speaking of which, happy Jamaican Independence Day. I'm Jamaican happy... too, by the way. Holy shit. Happy Jamaican Independence Day. Hell yeah. Big up Jamaica. Let me stop. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, ca- <laughs> I, I loved every part of this tangent. Please carry on. <laughs> yeah so um you know not killing the desire to fuck around and find out you know the, the scientific method and <laughs> i carried that into my school year so uh this is a little controversial but i'm gonna say it. i don't believe in standardized testing i think tests are bullshit i don't think anyone believes in standardized testing let me explain 
let me elaborate okay <laughs> and, and then and then tell me tell me if you still tell me if you still if it still doesn't sound that crazy so when covid hit um obviously you know a lot of people got their uh home degrees on things that probably shouldn't have been home degrees Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, it was really great because, um, you know, my house tested my house. It's under my rules. And I was able to kind of skate through my second year finishing my cybersecurity degree. But especially for a concept like cybersecurity, and that's why I fucking love cybersecurity so much. And I'll try to keep my terms basic. Um, there is so much from the ground up in cybersecurity, like from how data is stored to how data is in transit to the way that it's being, you know, it's being transported with networking to the way that it's being worked on with programming, the way that it's being presented, the way it's being uh, even stored with databases, everything from the ground up. Cybersecurity is basically security injected into every single process in data in general. Mm -hmm. It's massive. It's, It's the bottom line is it's so massive. And when you end up working in that industry, you're basically saying, and likely it's how it's going to be is you're going to pick this part of that that giant you know machine and you're going to specialize or at least provide a service that revolves around that part whether it's digital forensics which would be like uh trying to track down evidence of a cybercrime whether it's um networking security or taking uh, protecting network vulnerabilities so trying to find out issues in a network that makes it easily accessible to people that aren't authorized whether it's code or data like how not data how like programming best practices so if i'm writing an application or making an application and i make that application unsecure and make it easy for people to abuse and manipulate that code like yahoo.com i mean like (laughs) like that's four jobs right there you know but it's still cyber security so if you take any motherfucker and sit them down and, and quiz them and every single one of those jobs how the hell are they supposed to pass? And this is a, we're beginners. <laughs> we just started this shit. We're supposed to take three, four, five classes on four or five completely independent fields within this entire big industry. It makes no sense. You have a curve. What is that? You never heard of a curve, a grading curve? Oh, I mean, yeah, grading curves are great. But like if the, for the individual, when they're trying to steady the content, right? Because for me, what I found myself doing when I was studying, and the reason why this is why I don't really and for cybersecurity, I don't really think curves matter. When I was trying to study cybersecurity, I had to ask myself when I'm taking a test question or I'm when I'm looking at content, I'm thinking to myself, am I going to remember this because I think this is going to be a test question, or am I going to remember this because I think this is actually useful? And when you start separating information into those two different piles, well, now you just have all this shit that is just it's just fun test questions concepts. For example, back to networking, there is a chart. For networking, but it's all about wire standards. It's how different wires perform for cabling. That's it. Hmm. Oh, they love asking you about all the different standards for those cables. It doesn't matter. And the reason it doesn't matter is because when I go to Best Buy, or well, Radio Shack isn't around anymore, but when I go to the store <laughs> to buy the, the, the shit, all I need to know is what I need my wires to do. That's it. That's all I need to know. And there's going to be a chart there, and I'm going to pick it off the rack, and I'm going to go buy it. And that's it. I don't need to memorize this shit off the top of my head. But if you ask me something like the OSI model or how data goes up and down in its transit, right? I know that's specific, but that's something I need to know. That's something I need to be able to remember. I hate 
tests that are built to just be annoying. And now those that I think contributes to people having imposter syndrome because you'll find yourself working on content, taking tests, dealing with questions, dealing with answers. And it's like, how are you supposed to retain stuff when half of the information you're you're working with is just it's just busy information. It's just it's just padding. Yeah. I I think a lot more people than you realize would agree with you. Um, hearing that specific discussion, it made me think about like my feelings on Orgo 1 and Orgo 2. So in organic chemistry, it's like Orgo 1, you learn mechanisms. Like what are the rules when you have certain compounds interacting with each other? Like what reaction are they going to have and what yield are they going to have? And I like that. Like I love a mechanism because ultimately like it means you can give me any set of compounds, I can figure out whether they meet the criteria for a certain mechanism. And then if they do, I know what's going to happen. Orgo 2 is just memorization. Orgo 2 is just like, you're going to memorize like a thousand different reactions. And if you don't, then you do not deserve to be a chemist. And um, that is stupid to me because you're going to use like less than 5% of those reactions in your entire life. And if you're going to be a chemical engineer, not even a chemist, probably even less than 5% of those reactions in your entire life. So I, I get it. I also think, like, to be honest, I feel like standardized tests are a... My original thought was to use the word lazy, but I'm actually going to change it to convenient. A convenient <laughs> way to segregate people, right? So um, everybody knows like standardized testing is not a guarantee of success, right? There's people who got C's who then went on to become, you know, CEOs and whatnot. There's people who had A pluses all through high school who had mental breakdowns and now can't hold a job, right? It's it's a mixed bag. But I think um, schools cater to industries, right? And um, those industries like a easy way not even necessarily to see who's the smartest but to see like you said who conforms the best right who um takes on that the behaviors that someone asks of them the best and i think standardized testing is an easy way to sort those people essentially and that's part of why they do it Something similar I was thinking of, I hope I didn't forget, maybe I was thinking of um, college admissions, Uh. where the reality, like, if you think about it, you're paying money to these people, right? You're paying money to these people to educate you, right? As long as you can afford it, right? They're supposed to, like, if you think about it, right, a print shop or something, if I want a t-shirt design printed... I give you the money. I give you the design. As long as the design isn't too complicated, you give me a shirt. Right. Colleges are like, we're this almighty, amazing educational institution, and we will take your fucking money. <laughs> but um, you also have to prove that you're worthy of us using our teaching skills on you. Right. And um, I think, you know, the reality is like wh- why college admissions are the way they are is there's limited space they're gonna get more people applying than they have space for and they needed once again some way to separate people and the assumption they had is if your grades are higher that means 
you're more capable, right? Maybe just more likely to survive in school. I really don't think that always plays out 100%. And so even though in reality, it should just be like, whoever comes, we're going to teach them as best they can, whatever skills they need. They come up with some type of separating factor, whether it's your GPA or what essay you write or whatever to try to separate you, even though it really shouldn't matter that much, especially when they're charging you. Mm. Really, the even more damaging thing is that students are convinced that it matters mm. when it when it really doesn't matter as much as um schools make it out to. Mm. Because ultimately, when you go to your job, they're always going to have to onboard you. They're always going to have to teach you how the job is ultimately done to a degree. Hands-on experience is still like the best experience. So I don't think you're like in the minority on that opinion. I just think that like people haven't found a better way to um sort people when they're trying to hire someone hmm. or you know if they have found a better way it hasn't been broadly adopted yeah i could see that i could see that 100 percent. yo the that thing you just said about hallie even if you do get like a new job that you still have to go through like a whole onboarding process i just found that out i for real thought like i was looking at like just in the beginning, we were talking about with uh, like these detailed, super detailed job descriptions about how they want you to know a million things, even though it's like an entry level position. I really thought that recruiters were sitting down with people with like a checkbox and were like, oh, you don't know this. Hey, sorry, you didn't make the cut. That's really how I thought this shit worked. This is my first like real enterprise position. And I am learning so much about how little everything really works. <laughs> You know, every everyone's kind of hanging on by a thread, it seems. Or everyone, I won't say that. I'll say everyone is an incomplete puzzle. No one's puzzle is finished. Everyone's missing pieces. Yeah. Some, some of them are critical pieces. Oh my gosh. Uh, um, anywho, moving on into the what did we learn portion of the episode. I think for me, what I've learned from my experiences with imposter syndrome are... Um, I have a false belief that I need to be as good at my job as whoever I work with. Kind of like what you were saying. It's a difficult position to put myself in because 90% of the time, the people I work with and compare myself to have more years of experience, more time in the specific industry that I'm in. And on top of that, race and economic status also play a factor because the majority of my coworkers are white. And a lot of them went to fancier schools than I did. So I have to regularly remind myself that regardless of all that, I'm still able to do the work that's asked of me. In spite of whatever the hell they put on the job description, what I need to do every single day, I get done and they're happy with me for it. And also, I have to remind myself that while they have skills I don't, I also have skills that they don't, especially with my my more seasoned fellow employees, I end up doing a lot of tech support for them. <laughs> that is all I'm going to say. <laughs> so moving on to what people can do about it, here are a few things that I do to negate imposter syndrome. Specifically, kind of, I said it before, but 
specifically when it comes to acting on imposter syndrome, meaning not fighting for an opportunity, I remind myself that the worst thing that can happen is that I'm told no. And at least when it comes to work, I'm pretty numb to that now. People say no to me all the damn time. But when it comes to like applying for a job or whatever, I understand going in, I'm going to apply to like 100 plus places and 90 of them are probably going to say no. Next thing, I try to quantify how much I'm helping a company. So that may mean sales dollars, reduced downtime, improved output, whatever. But at least once a year, ideally more than that, I try to get numbers on what I've contributed, not just to feel better at my job, but also to put on my resume, to leverage when asking for a promotion, all of that. Having those numbers makes your worthiness not just a feeling but like a fact in a way like I can definitively say I did this um not that you need data to feel like you're worthy you're you're born (laughs) worthy it's not Maybelline she is born with it (laughs) um next I have a folder where I save praises that I receive at work So it can be as small as a thank you email or as large as an award for solving a certain problem. But when I'm feeling like I don't belong, I sort of go back to that folder and remind myself of times when other people were able to see my value. I feel like as beneficial as that is for me, it sounds so sad to say out loud. (laughs) Um... The, the four, I, these are numbered, but I wasn't trying to say the numbers. <laughs> I think a lot about the things that I've built or fixed in my house because I don't consider myself to be super handy. And yet, in spite of that, when I've had to unclog a sink, install a new thermostat, assemble some furniture, whatever it was... I've always managed to learn how in like just a couple of hours with a little help from like YouTube or whatever, which to me means whatever it is at work where I have a whole degree behind me, I can learn the skill I feel like I'm lacking if I give it enough time. It's not a matter of, oh, you're not good enough. It's there's just a skill you kind of want to learn that'd be beneficial to have for the future. Five. If you've ever changed roles within a company, right? So you're no, you know, maybe like in the middle-ish of your career or like the early second quarter, I don't know. Mm. Um, a great way to see how much you do and how complicated it is to do the work you do, right? Is to look at how long it takes to train your replacement and how often people call and ask you questions even after you've moved on. <laughs> so legitimately, in most of the roles I've been in, because I transferred internally a lot within my last job, you finish your project, finish your work, finish whatever, maybe write up a cute little um knowledge transfer package. And you're like, all right, project that I absolutely hated that definitely gave me severe anxiety be free get the fuck away from me but it never leaves you people will still reach out weeks later months later like hey do you remember what we did for this hey can you remind me how to use this software hey can you remind me how this calculation was done and even like with training your replacement this is a complaint i have about i'm really just gonna say my last job because it was the place where i saw it the most where it's like they'll start moving people around and give you 
I don't know, a week max to train your replacement. And a week is never enough. So what almost always happens to multiple people that I know is you do your best onboarding you can for a week and then you end up doing your new job and your old job for months because the person that's supposed to be your replacement can't pick it all up in a week or they literally haven't hired your replacement. So looking at the fact that however small you felt your work was, they literally can't get by fully without you for such a long time after you're technically gone, I think is um just a way to say like, hey, what I did mattered, what I did wasn't easy. Finally, and maybe most importantly, I try to remember that this is all bullshit. I would never have to worry how good I was at my job if I had rich parents. Whatever a job description says doesn't matter if you're the child of someone high up in the company. CEOs and VPs make short-sighted decisions that cost companies millions and people their jobs all the time, and they don't feel anywhere near as guilty as an entry-level engineer does for not knowing AutoCAD. (laughs) And ultimately, my job isn't to be the perfect employee. It is to build a good life for myself. If that does mean scamming people into thinking that I'm better at my job than I actually am, so be it. At least I'm not out here whole-ass lying about knowing sign language on live TV. (laughs) Right? So whenever you're feeling down on yourself, remember... There is someone scamming people in some way, (laughs) like someone literally scamming people, no prior experience, no nothing, living off lies and vibes, often for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And you're not doing that. You're doing fine. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, hey, and, uh, you know, like when people call you on your phone and they try to, like, talk you into giving you your money and shit. Mm hmm. Uh, and ethical, well, in hacking, we call that social engineering. Yeah. Um, the, I get a lot of the, um, hey, Jonathan, is it you? Or like, you know, those random texts yeah. that's like they're texting the wrong number. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have that. I don't, I don't want you to send me your naked pictures. I don't want to invest in Bitcoin. I'm sorry that you can't claim your inheritance without my help. Start an OnlyFans. It's not my problem. Um, but yeah, I get I get tired of scams sometimes because I'm like, I just feel like we're so heavily monitored, right? You're really telling me you can't stop these scammers. Target knows when its customers are pregnant. Facts. I saw that shit. With the the daughter, the girl. Yes. <laughs> There's no 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 algorithm you can make to just like full on stop the scammers. I have to like download like three different scam blocker apps to block out like eighty percent of the scammers, but not all hundred percent. Okay, sure. They're resilient, man. Hey, that's what we got to learn from the scammers. Be take their resilience. There we go. The only the only time I've ever seen the scammer stop was during covid (laughs) do you remember that do you remember that like legit when covid hit its peak even the scam calls stopped i was like they cleared y'all out of the call center huh (laughs) thanks for this opportunity man i really appreciate it no problem do you have any things that you want to say you learned um 
I think that was it, honestly. Yeah, resilience is the number one thing. You know, life is one big experiment, and even a failed experiment gives you something to work with. Failed experiments are the best. You learn the most from the failed experiments, to be honest. Facts. You know, we are not prophets. We're just doing the best we can with what we have. And yet there's a lot of people calling themselves prophets out there. Um, <sighs> you know, hey, always, hey, what was we were just talking about? Have that, have that confidence, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, would you like to tell the audience where they can find you? No. Would you like to shout out a um, charitable organization or other group that you think deserves, you know, more visibility? Uh... I don't know of any. Me. <laughs> Help me. I am the DD. <laughs> Drop your cash app. Yeah, I'm not, uh, my pride won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, to the audience, thank you for listening. Don't forget to leave a review and check out my feedback survey in the description. To be a guest on the show, hit me up on Facebook and Instagram at adultinghs or by email at adultinghs at gmail.com with that said this has been adulting horror stories i'll see you in the next one we got to under an hour nice yeah this, that, this wasn't it this was a very chaotic episode i'm not gonna yeah. lie <laughs> I, I love you hey actually there's a quote that i love uh in chaos i bloom like a flower in the dawn <laughs> <laughs> i was i'm i like that quote <laughs> i do i laughed but i like that quote